Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now... Amen. So glad you're here. This is good. This is good. Uh, Daniel, this is, this is fun. We're excited to hear your story. But before we jump into it... We have, some people have won some things, so we, we don't wanna miss this. We had a raffle to give away some of Daniel's books, and so, uh, Daniel, you wanna read our winners for today? Absolutely, it's, uh, so we've got Kathy Dickerson, uh, online attender, Lorraine Gould, uh, the Aurora campus, uh, Brett Maple at the DeKalb campus, and here at the St. Charles campus, Lisa Kelly. All right. Uh, if you have won, we will be uh, mailing those books to you so you don't have to worry about trying to find uh, where they're gonna be today, uh, but you'll, you'll get that very soon. Uh, well, Daniel, I wanna start just by kind of getting an overview, getting to know you real quick. We're gonna do a lightning round of questions. So let's start with this. What is your name? <laughs> <laughs> so my, my real name is Josro Daniel Nayeri, and Daniel's actually an alias. <laughs> Closer. So you got to clear your throat. Yeah, you have to, to do that one. You got to you gotta roll an R. So uh, yeah. you, you, you let us call you Daniel for, for yeah. simplicity. Thank you. Uh, and where were you born? Uh, Tehran, Iran. Okay. And where do you live now? Jersey City. Very similar to Tehran, Extreme. right? Very. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, tell us about your family. Um, well, I have, I have a lovely wife we met in college. Um, and, uh, and we have a nine-year-old son named Gideon. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, if we get a chance to try Iranian food, what do you recommend? So, okay, so the hamburger of Iran, like the big staple that you get, you know, most nights is, uh, is a kebab, right? So a kebab is basically any skewered meat uh, that is cooked over an open flame, served over really buttery rice with, uh, with like a seared uh, tomato, right? And, and a bunch of like sides. So if you get the, if you get the like the, the classic is, the ground beef, all kinds of awesome spices, seared over an open flame, you cannot go wrong. All right, uh, what do you do for a living? I, I write books yes. uh, for kids. Yes, and, and when you were growing up, what was your favorite book? The Hobbit. See, this is why we invited this guy. <laughs> we, we're, we're, we're already friends. So um, if you are looking for a good book, I highly recommend uh, Daniel's book. Um, so the way we kind of came across this, even kind of the way we, we got you know Daniel here is, uh, I was in a bookstore and I saw this and I was like, that cover looks really cool. My wife and I looked at it and we're like, well, a story about refugees, that's, that's kind of interesting. That'd be you know, a good thing for our, you know, our kids to read about. And so we picked it up and I will tell you, this blew me away. Uh, we laughed, we cried, we uh, you know, stopped and had good conversations. Um, it's, it's really, really fantastic. Uh, and I'm not the only one to think that. Um, it, it's won a ton of accolades. Uh, if you look up the best books of the year list, basically from anywhere from last year, uh, it ends up on there. So uh, it's, it's doing really well. Um, and there is more in this book than we're gonna be able to cover in uh, this interview. So uh, if you're curious about his story, it's really good. It's a beautiful, beautiful book uh, as well. Um, well, let's start with your life in Iran before you came here. Because um, I'll, I'll be honest, so I, I picked this up, realized it's a refugee story, and in my mind, I had kind of the typical, like this is what's happened. Some place is really awful, right? Like it's war and violence and, and, you know, and desperate situations, and someone leaves a place that's really hard, and hopefully they end up someplace that's, that's better in some way. And in a lot of ways, your story kind of flipped that on the head for me. 
um, because it sounded like life in Iran was actually pretty good for your family. So, so describe what that was like for you. Sure. Yeah, life was was very good, right? So my my mom and my dad. So my mom was a doctor in Iran, had her own practice. Um, my dad was a dentist; he had his own, and and they lived in Isfahan. Isfahan is like far from like the burned out buildings you will see on TV. It is one of the garden capitals. It's gorgeous. It is there's tree lined, uh, you know, colonnades everywhere. Um, and they lived in a beautiful house. The house, you know, had uh, all sorts of, you know, the, the good life, right? And the unique thing about this house, I used to call it the house with the birds and the walls because my dad had gotten it into his head to make an atrium between my room and my sister's room. So imagine one wall in each of our rooms is entirely glass. And in between, there's a big atrium with all these potted trees and birds. Like, he, he loved exotic birds. And, and so you could look in there. I used it to spy on my sister, to be honest, because you could go straight through and see what my sister was up to, but, uh, uh, but, but it, you know, it, had, it was a lovely house, and, and you know, she, had, she had her whole family um, and you know, generations going back, so there was the family, the family farm was like a thousand acres and, and full of pomegranate groves, so that's where you know, they would picnic in the weekends, and um, yeah, it was a, it was a really, it was a, it was a very stable situation, it was very yeah. um, good for her. And, and religiously speaking, what was your background? Well, so Iran is 96.5, uh, I think, percent uh, Muslim uh, and Shiite Muslim, which we sort of uh, colloquially call like the fundamentalist kind. And so, uh, and it's, it's about less than 1%, 1.5% of anything else. So, um, so she was a very devout Muslim. My mom was uh, in particular um, a Quranic scholar. She, you know, a lot of times people will be culturally whatever they are and not read the text. She was deep in the texts and um, particularly devout. Yeah, and, and your father? Uh, particularly not devout. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he, I, he, I think he takes everything sort of a little less seriously, um, uh, much more of the uh, Rumi school. So Rumi is a poet that some people uh, may have heard of uh, from the Suf Sufism is an offshoot of Islam. It's more of a, um, uh, it's kind of the hippie version. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very chill. He's, so he's, uh, He's that, his, he's, you know, much more. Yeah. And, and within Islam, your family had kind of a special status. Uh, explain what that was. Sure, so like, well, to that, to, not to go into this, like all the history, but um, there's a difference, of course, as we know, between the Sunnis and the Shi'is, and quite a difference. They don't get along as much. And, and um, so the difference began all the way back when uh, Muhammad the prophet dies, and there's a question of, Succession, like well, how do you how do you go on with this thing? Um, and and there's uh, you know one group was like, it's not the we're not going to just pick the best person for the job to be you know our next leader. It's got to be the bloodline. The bloodline of this person is very um, powerful and important and holy. And so um, and that's where the offshoot happens. The Shiites are the ones who decide that that's the that's the way to go, and they're the ones who populate nowadays. Um, Iran, Afghanistan, and you know half of Iraq. So, um, so as you can imagine, in uh, in Iran, that's something that people really uh, keep track of, right? And the term for it is Sayyid. Sayyid sort of means master. If you've ever seen like an old uh, like Casablanca type movie, there'll always be a guy walking around going, "Yes, Sahib." Um, Sahib is like another way of saying master. It's the same word. So he's saying, "Yes, master." And um, yeah, so Sayyid means that it's a, it's a form of social cachet. It obviously, it means you're more holy, that people would want you to pray over them, 
more. There's, um, it's a bit of like an aristocracy kind of experience. Yeah, and, and both of your parents yeah. are, are Sayed. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's doubly rich in your, your family. So, yeah. so things, are, things are good for you guys. You're, yeah, she's you're, doing you're good. doing well. Um, fast forward, okay, so we're gonna kind of skip some part of the story here and compare this with your life when you come here to the U.S. and you land in Oklahoma. How, how old were you when you got here? So seven, seven, okay. eight. Yeah, yeah. And, and describe what life was like in, in Edmond, Oklahoma. <laughs> there were no uh, atrium was full of exotic birds in the walls <laughs> of the apartment complex. Um, yeah, so this, I mean, she gave up everything, right? So uh, it is, she's disinherited. She's sort of disowned. Um, all, that, uh, all that kind of wealth and status goes away. Um, as it would if you're a refugee. So, um, you know, relocating to, you know, a, a, an apartment complex, uh, sort of the poorer side of town. Um, you know, it's sort of all the, all the things you'd expect, right? She's, um, you know, struggling for work, struggling to figure out English. Uh, you know, there's, if you're a single mom, my dad didn't come with us. So uh, if you're a single mom working two jobs, you know, uh, there's less supervision for the kids. So, uh, you know, just, just more... Um, you, know, the, you know, it's kind of a stereotype, right? Like the poor kid walks home, uh, easy target for the, for the, you know, the uh, knuckleheads. Yeah, yeah. If, if you pick up Daniel's book, you'll kind of get kind of the uh, inside experience of a kid who's going through that because the, the book is written from uh, the, the perspective of his childhood self. And so uh, you'll get kind of the, the stress and the, the, the challenge of uh, going into that situation. But in the book, you describe... Uh, what you consider one of your favorite parts of the day. Can you tell us about that? Sure, yeah. So, like, I, as I said, um, you know, my mom was working two jobs, and it's, you know, sort of, they're hard, menial labor kind of jobs. And, and, and we were, um, so we were kind of left to our own. I joked that, like, you know, like, Nintendo was my babysitter. <laughs> and, um, and we, we, you know, but when my mom would get home, um, she really had this uh, love of, of cooking and, and a memory of it, because it really... Uh, connected her to Iran, and so she would get home at like 7.38 and immediately go into the kitchen. This is a very productive human being. Um, and would start, you know, baking bread from scratch. She made her own yogurt. It was just a gigantic feast of, you know, sort of the food that we were used to. And, and we would all sit down. It was always a late dinner, and it was, uh, it was sort of just, uh, not only the, the sort of the one time we were all together, but it was also the, the one time we were kind of you know, just eating well. Like, you know, you, were, you start off, uh, yeah, when you, you come and you're kind of like, oh, you know, uh, you, you, well, you discover the miracle of things like Pringles, for example, <laughs> <laughs> which are all the same shape. It's shocking. Um, and, uh, and if you ever want to see, like, like peanut butter, we discovered peanut butter, which at first tastes just like it's shutting your, it's glue, it's shutting your mouth down. But, uh, and, then, and then, you know, the, then the jam hits. And, uh, and all of a sudden, like, that's, that's how to get, uh, you know, you, you keep a kid away from peanut butter for eight years and then hand him a peanut butter sandwich. That's how to, that's how to uh, really, really build an addict. But, uh, um, so, you know, so at first, I, you know, I'm sitting there going, like, you brought peanut butter sandwiches? Uh, I only have, and, but, uh, but those dinners really um, made me realize that my, what my mom was giving us in the best way she could was was homemade food, right? That's like nowadays, like, to say like handmade yogurt is like the gourmet thing. It's not like, uh, but back then it was like, but they have yogurt that comes in tubes now. It's called <laughs> Gogurt. Mom, what are you doing? We can be purchasing this. 
Um, so yeah, it was. It really was a um, an insight into not only her value of of giving that to us, but it was it was uh, it was a sort of well, it was a small piece of yeah. what we used to have. Yeah. Uh, as we go along, you're going to find out that uh, Daniel's mom really is incredible, and she she's kind of one of the heroes here of this story. Um, just as an aside, um, just so you guys know. Um, uh, right now, we've all been paying attention to the news. There is uh, another kind of uh, refugee situation going on with uh, folks from Afghanistan who are displaced and going to be uh, relocated. Uh, uh, estimates are, you know, somewhere in the 37,000 range are going to be coming uh, to the United States over the course of, you know, the, the fall and winter here. And uh, uh, those of you who've been around at Christ Community for a while, you know that at the end of each year, we do uh, a big year-end gift where we try to meet some needs in our local community or with our impact, uh, international impact partners uh, and, and, and try to raise money, usually you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars that we can contribute to those things. And uh, we're going to be uh, announcing uh, our project for this year in the upcoming month, but I want to give you a sneak peek because one aspect of that project is going to be partnering with World Relief to actually help uh, resettle some of the uh, refugees from Afghanistan who are going to be in the Chicago area. So that's going to be really exciting. Uh, you're going to want to look forward to that. So, Daniel, we've got this uh, contrast between life in Iran and life in Oklahoma. And we've, we've got to figure out why someone would go from this to this. And that, that story kind of starts for your family in England. Tell us about your trip to England. Why were you there? Uh, sure. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, it's complicated. But like, <laughs> divorces in Iran are complicated. But um, and my my grandmother was separated from my grandfather on my mom's side, and so she was exiled to the UK, um, which sounds wild. But she was allowed to take one of their, her kids, uh, which was the youngest daughter, my youngest aunt, and at the time she was 11. Um, but she grows up uh, over the years and, and wants to marry this uh, great uh, Englishman, and they uh, they're going to have a wedding. So. Um, we end up going as a family uh, to help, and it was going to be a longer trip to sort of see see them after a long while. So it was it was a good month that we were in the UK. Yeah. And while you're there, your sister gets injured. You want to tell us about that one? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Buckle <laughs> up. This is bloody. Uh, so yeah. So she um, she's six at the time and is sort of in a daycare playground situation, and uh, knuckleheads being knuckleheads everywhere. Nowhere has a monopoly on that. Um, there's a little kid who sort of goes, uh, does the like, come here, I'm gonna tell you a secret. And uh, sister, kind of gullible, uh, goes over to hear the secret and, and he says, you know, like put your finger in the door jam so I can, I can tell you the secret. That's not a prerequisite for knowing a secret, that you don't have <laughs> to do that in case you were ever asked to do that. Uh, and so he slams the door and it, it severs my sister's finger from uh, the, the pinky. This ends well, I promise. Uh, but for now, not well. Everything is bloody. Uh, blood everywhere, blood in the sink. And they call my mother. My mother is, of course, uh, rushes over and, and thankfully uh, has the wherewithal. Put the pinky in a little bit of ice. Uh, and, and they go to the hospital and they uh, sew it all together. Um, kind of a weird aside to tell you about, except we're getting, we get back to, the, to my grandmother's home and... And the idea, you know, she's, my sister's just been like, uh, you know, she just had her finger sewn back on. Like, this is a traumatic experience. This is not nice. Um, and she's six. And so they sort of tell her, you know, go, go in the bedroom, like, lay down. Just kind of, they're hoping she'll take a nap, wake up a little bit, uh, you know, relieved. But she's, they're, they don't quite know what's going to happen. And 
Uh, and so what happens is instead, about uh, you know, 20, 30 minutes later or whatever, um, she walks out and she's sort of just this like bounding and joyful little girl, like nothing's gone wrong. And, um, and the adults, uh, adults in the room are, I'm, I'm three years old at this point, so like I'm, I'm like barely sentient, I'm eating the cat food. Um, this is something people told me about. Um, and so uh, she's, uh, the, my, the adults are kind of like, well, this is, this is wild. Like this, the expectation is at least like maybe she's processing it, what's gonna happen, but she's not even acknowledging it. And so they said, um, so what happened? Did you take a nap, you know? And, and here I have to pause for a second again and tell you that this is the part of the story where you like, I'm gonna say a bunch of things that, uh, that are, sound improbable and are in fact, Miraculous, um, or you can also choose not to believe it. But um, but you know, it's, it's what happened, and it's what I uh, describe. She she literally says, "I uh, this, this man appeared at the foot of my bed, and um, and I was crying, and I said, um, you know, and I t I told him what happened, and he said everything is going to be okay. You're mine now." And um, and my grandmother, of course, first checks the room, makes sure like the windows were locked and stuff, and then. <laughs> They were upper floor, you know, no, no, no problems there. Uh, and so, but she says, and she kind of teases this out a little bit. Uh, my grandmother at the time, you know, had converted over the decade she was there to Christianity. And, and so she's asking, because you have to understand, in Iran, like, there are no just like random posters of Jesus. There are no uh, books with pictures. It's, not, it's not, like the, the visual iconography of, you know, like Jim Caviezel movies are not <clears throat> present. So it's... So when she's describing this person um, and describing what he's saying, and some of which is mapping to, you know, the Bible, like my grandmother is going, I think, I think, you know, you met Jesus, I think. And, and my sister, six years old, very headstrong, goes, uh, okay, then yeah, I'm a Christian now. I'm like grandma. Uh, my mom's just like, uh, my mom's jaw's on the floor, of course, uh, at this point. <laughs> um. What, what, is you, what, what does your mom do with that? Like, how does she respond to her daughter saying this? Uh, just unbridled panic. Uh, is this, well, I guess, I mean, the context is, you have to understand, um, so in, in Iran, there, uh, if you convert from Islam to Christianity or Judaism, this is a capital crime. Like, when I say capital crime, I don't mean, like, people don't invite you to parties. I mean, uh, you get accused in front of a, you know, religious court. If found guilty, you get killed. And that's the end of that. Uh, so... Um, and, and at the time, also, uh, I Iran had just had its revolution, and there was a secret police force. They're, ominously, they're called the committee. Uh, and, and even if you want to hear it in Farsi, it's uh, the comité. Uh, and the comité is a terrifying word for me. Um, but, the, you know, they really have the city under their thumb, and you don't know who's working with, with the secret police. So there's this very um, culture of sort of suspicion. You want to keep to yourself. You don't want to talk too much to your neighbors. You really don't. Um, it's a very, uh, you know, um, difficult time. And so, um, so like a little six-year-old walking into her school and telling the teacher, like, oh yeah, we went to England and I, you know, I ate peanut butter and also I'm a Christian, gets you killed. That's, that, it can't happen. So um, she's really just trying to like shush a six-year-old. Not gonna happen, uh, doesn't usually. But, yeah. um, but she keeps digging, right? So, so your mom not only tries to you figure out what's going on with your, your daughter, her daughter, but actually tries to figure out what's going on with Jesus. 
How does that work? <clears throat> so, I mean, to her credit, I mean, she really engages with this moment, right? Like, her, her daughter is, like, really uh, sincere in this, in this situation. And, and, of course, her own mother is, like, saying, you know, you should, you should look at this. And so, and so she does. She opens the Bible. And, and here's where, you know, when I mentioned, you know, she was a Quranic scholar. It's, it's actually kind of important because, um, because it, when she reads the Bible, and a lot of people can, um, who are sort of culturally anything else, and they can say, oh, it's just full of nice stuff. There's some bland niceties in here, you know, you know the golden rule and, uh, you know, be nice to the poor. And these are, these are all, you know, we all kind of agree um, you know, nice, good stuff. Um, but, you know, because of her background and she really had read the, um, you know, read the Quran and, and at that point was reading the Bible, she was really seeing the differences. She was really starting to uh, dive down into, um, okay, so what are the claims of Jesus? What is he saying? Um, because it's not, um, it's not sort of easily compatible with everything else. He doesn't say like, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the light, and also, you know, check out some other stuff. Um, and so there's an exclusivity that, um, that is demanded there, and, and she really reckoned with that and, uh, and converted as well. So like after the wedding, uh, much after the wedding, like it wasn't the same day, uh, she goes, at, she, at same church, she was baptized and uh, converted on the same trip. Wow, wow. So it, it just kind of raises the question, that the stakes are so high. So she's, she's got to go back to Iran. Mm -hmm. And not only with a six-year-old who claims she's a Christian, but now she herself right. is a follower of Jesus. You got to ask the question, like, why would you do that? Like, why would you do that? Yeah. Why did she do it? Well, I mean, so, I mean, that's where we live. That's where, so on some level, she had to go back home. But on another, um, you know, the underground church was, was, was operating at that time. In Iran, I mean, it's still, you know, I'll, I'll keep that part. Uh, it's operating in Iran at that time, and so, um, and these are like sort of missionaries got a heart for this and are are preaching to Muslims. And again, preaching to Muslims—that's a capital crime. So, um, and you can imagine, uh, how do you decide who to preach to? Like, you can't just walk up to somebody; they may have a very negative reaction to what you just said, um, and then you're sort of done. Um, so, you know, it is—it's something that's very uh, challenging. It has to be handled. With, with care, and my mom went and wanted to support that and help the underground church, and, um, and so for two years while we were there, you know, she was, you, they meet in basements, and they, um, and they uh, try to find uh, people who might be open to it and, and uh, preach. Wow, yeah. what, what does your dad think of all of this? Oh, <laughs> he, thinks, he thinks like a mania has taken his wife and that she needs to snap out of it um, as quickly as possible, right? Like he's, he would very much like this phase to end, um, and and sort of at first thinks you know it's a way to connect with her mother maybe or you know he's sort of um, psychologizing it or um, or uh, whatever and 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 would uh, so he's he's sort of putting up with it but very much resistant yeah 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 uh, eventually the secret police they they find out about your mom right what happens so, then. Yeah, when the when the comité, uh, when the secret police, uh, fi you know, find you uh, and want to talk to you, it's like, you know, you're in the market, white van pulls up, you get, you know, thrown in the van, um, which is what happened. Um, and she gets taken to a safe house where they interrogate her, um, and uh, we sort of skip over the gruesome parts and and get to uh, the upshot, which is um, that she has a week to tell 
them the names of the people in the underground church, or you know they're going to kill her and her kids. Um, and then you know, then honestly, the, what they do is they leave the door open, and you walk out of the safe house in the middle of a neighborhood, and you just go home, right? They don't have to keep you in custody. They have the old city under. Like they know where you live. They know where you are. They know, you just wait a week, and um, they'll find you again. So. Um, so yeah, so she walked back home, and uh, and this is where you know. So in my from my perspective, uh, you know, I get picked up from school by my dad. We all you know we're in the car. We go uh, home, and my mother, uh, you know, we sort of see her in a um, complete uh, you know shock and panic and hysteria, um, trying to pack. No tickets, nothing. You know, no visas, nothing. But um, but you know, we have to get out uh, uh, somehow. So. Um, she's just throwing things into a suitcase, um, and and we drive you to the airport. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And so you know, uh, there, there's a ton of details. Like I said, there's so much in the book that we can't cover. But you guys end up uh, first in the UAE, United Arab Emirates, and then in Italy. Right. You end up there, uh, and uh, you're in essentially they've, they've kind of redone a hotel to just kind of house a bunch of refugees that are there. And you're there for a long time. You know, you're there, you're there in the, this whole process is, is years uh, of trying to figure out and waiting to figure out where you're gonna be. Um, so t- tell us a little bit about what that's like. Actually, a, a couple of stories that, uh, that I think are, are, are kind of you know, uh, telling details. Tell us about Hot Dog Day. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, so, so real quick, like the way these uh, refugee camps sort of worked, these are like the not nice parts of Italy. There's no postcard of this uh, like sort of brutalist cement building, very few windows, landfill in the back. Um, and, um, and the way they needed to be built, because at the time in the 80s, Eastern Europe having a tough time, a lot of people were literally walking over the Alps and, and you know, walking into Italy. Um, and so there was this feeling at the time, as it might feel to have just like um, people randomly showing up, um, of, you know, of trying, to, of trying to do right by these people. I think there was a very good heart um, there, but also tr- trying to make sure they're kind of on their way, right? This is a stop, but you gotta keep going. Uh, and so, you know, the, 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 the quick version is, you know, we're in the cafeteria and, and, um, and on the plate, you're kind of expecting pasta, right? It's the cheapest thing to make in Italy. It's like 11 cents for a bag of noodles. Um, and, and there's this sort of a hot dog on the plate, like no bun, hot dog, just hot dog. And, uh, and, um, and this guy in front of me goes, what is this? And, and the, the dude in the cafeteria goes, this is American food. You need to get used to American food. <laughs> and so, uh, I came and I realized you all eat it with a bun and mustard and it's much better. Um, much better than just the boiled. It was also boiled. I have opinions on that. Um, but, uh, but the idea there really was, you know, this is a, this is a station on, on your yeah. path toward somewhere else and so yeah it was it was sort of the first vision of oh okay like i'm not this little uh you know the son of the dentist in isfahan who you know gets uh just like presents all the time and uh things like that like that was a real uh shift in okay we're sort of i mean the, the term for refugees is the global homeless um so you know that that was an interesting moment yeah yeah the, the other aspect, uh, the other story I'd love to hear about is, is how your mom approached uh, your education, your sister's education. Because you're, you're, you're uh, you know, displaced for a while, and, and that could easily stall that. 
um, but she wasn't content to just wait around. What, what did she do? Yeah, so usually just people, there, there's not really a solution um, and people let it sit. My mom uh, does not sit. <laughs> and so, so she, uh, she searched for weeks and weeks and found a family that had been homeschooling. Um, we knew we needed an English language, so it was an English-speaking family. Um, and uh, they were, in homeschooling, they were, they were thankfully, she, so what she was looking for was a family that had a kid my age, kid my sister's age. And, um, and they have uh, workbooks, right? And it's 66 workbooks, six subjects, 11 uh, workbooks that you go through the year. And it's the last month of the year, so they've kind of done most of them. And my mom goes, uh, you know, it takes about an hour and a half to commute to these, their house um, via bus. And, and on the way, there's this little novelty, like, stationary shop. And she goes in and buys what I have to believe was like a novelty eraser because it's the size of this succulent plant here. It's like <laughs> gigantic, right? And she literally sits there uh, next to us. We sat in a row. She's got a pile of, you know, 132 books. Uh, and she's going in and just erasing answer after answer and then passing it over to my sister or to me. And to this day, she has this sort of welt here on her finger that, you know, it's sort of a sign to me anyway of like, wow, if you do, if, to do something like that for a month, I promise it, it, it sounds sort of easy. It's a, it's a rote job that will eventually become a real uh, uh, task. It's a real painful thing to do. And, um, but it really signals to me just this sort of indefatigable uh, aspect of her. Um, and so that's, that's, how we, uh, that's how I did the first grade and my sister did the fourth. That's, that, the, the love and the tenacity of your mom is, is incredible. I, I like how you describe her uh, in your book. Let me, let me read this. You say, the legend of my mother is that she does not stop. And if you don't stop, you're unstoppable. I bet if I asked you what's the toughest stuff on earth, you'd say diamonds, but you'd be wrong. You should have said your mom. What, what do you know that keeps going, is never distracted, never bored, never deterred, beat up and threatened, sure, humiliated and ignored often, but never, never stopped? That's right, you get it now. My mom, that's incredible. That's a, that's a tribute to your mother right there. But here's the question. How did she get that unstoppable? Where, where does that kind of tenacity come from? Yeah, so I mean, I tell the story. It's actually an anecdote from my pastor, uh, Tim Keller, and he, he tells the story about um, how you can sort of experience the present um, and how, the, you know, the difficulty of the present. And it goes like this. It's really quick. He says, imagine I give you a job, right? Um, a windowless room, all cement, you're just putting a widget into a widget, and, um, and you're gonna do this for a year, full year, you know, eight hours a day. And, um, and I tell you, at the end of this year, I'm gonna give you a billion dollars. And then in the next room, there's another person, and uh, same job, same windowless room, same cement, it's awful, awful job. Uh, and they go, and at the end of this year, we're gonna give you $10,000. Well, that guy is gonna spend the year going, this, what am I doing? What am I doing? That's like, the taxes on 10,000, I, I can't even, I've already spent the 10,000. Uh, and the other guy is going to sit there in that room just joyfully spending a billion dollars on like an island and a Dippin' Dots machine and like <laughs> whatever. Like and it's going to be the fastest year. I promise that one's going to have the faster year. Same job, same year, same amount of time. Better experience. Um, that, you know, that's the anecdote that's always I, I love because, it, you know, your understanding of what's going to happen is absolutely going to affect how you experience the present. Yeah. Uh, and my mom has her vision on a, on a very long-term goal. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think this is so profound. What you believe about the future changes how you experience the present. If you believe that there is a hope for you beyond this present moment, and I, here's the thing, I know enough of the stories in this room. I, I know that some of you, you might be thinking, well, I'm not a refugee, that wasn't my desperate situation, but for you, you've got something that is a desperate situation. I've talked to people this week, they're talking about the chronic pain that they've been going through for years. Uh, I, I talked to someone who broke up with uh, their fiance and it fell apart and they're heartbroken and they're not sure what's gonna happen next and, and, and people are going fi through financial difficulties and uh, broken relationships in their family, they're not sure what's gonna happen and you look at that present and you say, how am I gonna get through this? And, and the difference between someone who gets crushed by that and the person who finds the, the, the ability to keep going is that vision of the future. It's saying, is there something more for me? Is, there, is the story uh, going someplace for me? And when you can say there is something uh, glorious and beautiful that God has uh, said you are going to get at the end of this, the billion dollars, it changes everything. It changes everything. And not just about the future, but about the present. About the present. I, I, that, that's amazing. Amazing. Um, this idea of hope is actually tied to the title of your book. Um, it's, it's a title that's cryptic if you don't know where it comes from. So everything sad is untrue. Uh, for some of you, you're like, I know exactly where that's from. Others of you, you're like, where did you get that? So why don't you tell us <laughs> sure. where that came from? <laughs> yeah, I'm not a silly person. Uh, I, I understand that uh, there are sad things that are true in this life. Um, I think uh, the title comes from a reference to the Lord of the Rings. Uh, I already copped to the, you know, being a nerd to that. And, uh, but that book, I, I adored, and there's a moment in it that um, it's the saddest moment. It's like the down, most downcast, right? Like Gandalf, the father figure, the wizard, the, you know, the dude, he's like sacrificed himself. He's died, he's fallen in a pit. And Samwise Gamgee, little guy, is uh, the heart of the whole story, um, is, is just despondent. Like this whole thing is, is um, uh, hopeless. And, and it's at that moment in the darkness that it describes that they hear the sound like laughter. And they see that Gandalf um, has has come back, he's, he's alive now, and, and he's Gandalf, he used to be Gandalf the Grey, now he's Gandalf the White, and it's, everything is amazing. And so he, Samwise runs to him and asks this incredibly naive question that I just adore, it like feels like this sort of child heart that uh, he says, Gandalf, now that you're back, like, is everything sad gonna become untrue? Like, is all, are all the problems going to be fixed? And, um, and I just, I loved that, uh, that, question. I loved the idea of it. And, and I think on a long enough timeline, the answer is yes. Yeah. Yeah. That this, the, 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 the broken things of the world will come back together. Um, let's, let's jump forward a little bit in the story here, back, back to the, the U.S. Um, you, you grew up here, you and your sister, uh, you're, you're here, your mom kind of rebuilds a life for you guys. Uh, but then when you turn 18, you've got a decision to make uh, about how you're going to relate to the country of Iran. Uh, tell us about that and tell us why you made the decision you did. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, at 18, and we were minors. So, uh, you know, my mom, immediately after we left, she got a fatwa on her head, which means basically you're found guilty of, you know, without, without the sort of trial um, of apostasy. And so, um, so she's, you know, not allowed back. It's, it's uh, a very serious thing. Um, and so at 18, you know, you kind of, uh, you got to choose um, because now, you know, I'm an adult um, legally. And, and so my dad called and, um, and there was this real, I mean, the, the sort of the stakes on the phone are, you know, can you ever come back? Can you ever inherit 
um, you know, your grandfather's uh, land? Can you ever, um, you know, uh, see your grandmother again? All that, all that stuff, even for a visit, right? Like lots of people get to go back um, to Iran for a visit. And so, um, so that's sort of what's, what's hanging over here. Um, oh yeah, but the, the sort of the, the, the catch is you kind of, you kind of have to either be, you know, kind of agnostic uh, or, or you have to choose Islam. And, um, and, you know, when you watch my mom, as I did up close, um, the why of it is really clear, right? You have this woman who, as we said, um, had a very, very good life, right? And gave, gave up, you know, money and prestige and cachet and power and, um, and just a, a really stable, um, you know, uh, experience, her family, all of those things. Um, gives it up for an extremely rough road um, as a single mom, as a refugee, as, as just being poor, all these things. Um, and, um, and you have to ask yourself, like, why? Why in the world would she do this? And, and you, at, at that point, you really have to go, this lady made the worst trade on the planet, or, or she didn't. I mean, or what she got in return was more valuable to her than all those things. And, and in that kind of sincerity, I obviously, I don't think my mom is nuts. Um, I don't think she made a, a random trade. I think um, very clearly, you know, if, if these claims are true, if heaven is waiting on the other side, if, um, you know, if there is a God and he sent his son to die for you, then it has to take over. It has to be worth more than everything else. Um, how could it not be worth more than everything else? <laughs> it's, it's like, as we said, it's the end of the year. It's gonna be, that has to be it. And so, um, so the why of it was fairly simple. And, um, and you know, so on the phone it was, yeah, I'm a Christian. And um, so that's, that stuff sort of goes away. Yeah. Last question here. My favorite uh, sort of portion of your book, kind of passage in the book, is when you pose a question. The question is, would you rather have a God who speaks or a God who listens? Now, that's a, kind of an evocative question, but I want you to explain what you mean by that. Sure. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, you know, so he's a kid in the story, and he's, he's really trying to explore, uh, as I said in the last part, like, why? Why would this person do this? Like, we had horses, for goodness sakes. <laughs> why, would you, why would you leave? Um, and, and, he's, and my mother's answer is like, because, because God, because there's, and so she, he's, he's um, struggling with what is that? What is and, uh, this guy? And so he starts to think about them in these ways, because he starts to also see that everyone he's meeting, his father, even the people who don't profess to, they're all worshiping something. They're all, they all have gods, and, and some of them speak, and some of them listen. And what he means by that is, um, you know, a God who speaks is, is a God come down the mountain, is a God who writes his words on stone and delivers them to you, is a God of law, is a God who delivers justice and speaks the world into being. And, um, and but as also, you know, there are, there are other gods who speak, um, right? And you can have them, uh, the God, you know, television only ever speaks to you. Um, the, if you worship beauty, um, it will only ever tell you ways in which you are, um, you know, uh, falling short. Um, and so they're, they're all over, the, you know, in, in his experience, he's seeing gods who speak. And, and then he's also saying, well, there's also gods who listen, right? The God who listens, of course, is the God of mercy, the God of love, the God who will dwell inside you and listen and sit with you as you grieve. And, um, 
And then there's also these other gods who listen that are, you know, the, you know alcohol will listen uh, forever um, and give you nothing in return. Um, and so will, so will, you know, money if that's all you pursue. And, and so he's seeing all this and going, you know, there are gods who speak and there are gods who listen, but there's only one that speaks to your heart and listens, um, who gives you justice and mercy at the same time, who is law and who is love, who like delivers this like beautiful paradox that, um, that, that we didn't live up to the law. There was a law, there was a standard, and we didn't live up to it. Um, and, and, and he, but he wouldn't let us go. Uh, it was, we were too much loved to be abandoned. Um, and, and so he, he chose to, he chose to forgive and take, but, but forgiveness isn't, isn't willy nilly. Someone's got to pay the price. And so he does. Yeah. Um, that, contra that contradiction, right? How can you, how can you have such a high standard and also love, you know, uh, so deeply? That is what sort of he kind of comes to and realizes that that's what his mother perceived. That's what his mother was, uh, was uh, uh, pursuing all the way across the planet. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that's, that's what he sort of comes to as well. Yeah, yeah. This, this is the reason uh, we, we do this. This is the, this is the message, right? The, the hope uh, that, that Daniel and his mother found and uh, the thing that changes everything. Uh, it's what we call the gospel. It's the, the good news that uh, there is a God and he is both the God who speaks and the God who listens. Uh, he's the God who speaks. He made the world. He spoke it into existence and declared over it. This is good, and, and, and people are very good, and he invites us into relationship to partner with him, uh, to know him, to be connected to the source of everything that's worth having, everything that's worth having. And, and the tragic story of the world is that each and every one of us, each and every one of us, even though we were invited into that, we've all turned away to something else. We've all said, I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna go after one of those other gods, one of those other things, because I think it might give me what I need. And when we turn away from God, it's what the Bible calls sin, but it's something that we all experience all the time. We don't need a, a special word for it. We know that we go after these things. And when we turn away from God, the source of all that's good, that's where all the brokenness of the world comes from. I mean, when you think about it, when you, you, you walk away from the source of all joy, you're, you're walking toward, towards pain and suffering. When you walk away from the one who holds the future, you are walking towards hopelessness. When you, you walk away from the source of, in, uh, of justice, what do you get? You get injustice. You walk away from the source of love, you get conflict and, and, and division and hate. You walk away from the source of life and, and you get death. And so this is where all of us are and it's where the world is. And so we look at the world and we say, to the God who speaks, do something. Like, bring justice, fix this, banish the evil, uh, uh, get rid of the brokenness. And we want that, we need that. But the problem is when, when we actually ask him to do that, we turn the mirror on ourselves and we realize if he got rid of all the things that contributed to the problems of the world, he'd have to do something with me too. And so we're in a, a, a tough place. We haven't lived up to that standard. And so that's, that's where that good news comes in that God didn't wanna leave us there. He, he loved us so much that he actually came and he said, I'm gonna fix the problem you can't fix. I'm, I'm gonna take the burdens on myself. So this is what Jesus was doing. When he stepped into the story, he said, I'm gonna bear the burdens, the, the, the consequences of you walking away from me, the suffering and the shame and the guilt and, and, the, and the, the, the pain, I'm gonna put it on my shoulders, including the death that you deserve. I'm gonna take it. 
I'm going to pay that price. So when Jesus is hanging on the cross, this is exactly what he's doing. He's taking all of that so that he could take it from us. And what's even better news is that after that price was paid, Jesus did not stay dead. He, he rose from the dead. And this is one of those astounding things. You gotta decide, am I, am I gonna believe it or not? Is this a crazy claim or is it the absolute truth that changes everything? That, that Jesus faced death, went through it, conquered it, came out on the other side. And because of that, we don't just get, have hope that we get to see him again, but that the whole world might be put back together again. Every sad thing will come untrue because death is defeated and he's bringing new life to the world. That's incredible, incredible news. And now Jesus is seated on the throne and here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm inviting you to have what I'm offering. And all it takes, all it takes is for you to say, you know what, I'm done. I'm done running my own life. I'm done pursuing these other things. I can't do it anymore. I need you to forgive me and put me back together, to just put yourself, surrender into his hands. That's how it begins. That's, how, that's all it takes. And, and, and so this is the question. Do you, do you wanna experience that? Do you want to know the kind of hope that can get you through the, the most difficult of times? The, the, do you want to know the treasure that is worth giving up anything in order to have it? Do you want to know that soul-satisfying love of the God who came and pursued you? Uh, there, there are some of you here who you, you've never experienced that, but you want to. And, and today uh, might be the day that you take that first step. Uh, and and you, it's as simple as this. It's as simple as praying to God and just surrendering and saying, that's what I want, God. And, and around here, we use uh, a pattern for prayer a lot of times uh, about this. And it's, it's just three simple words. It's sorry, thanks, and please. And, and that's what you say to God. And if you wanna do that right now, we're, we're gonna pray. And while I pray, if you just wanna join in in your heart and say those things to God and in your own way to say, God, I need you. I want to know you. I want to experience that life, forgiveness, and hope that you offer. Go ahead and do that right now. Now let's pray together. God, we want to start off by saying sorry. God, we are sorry. I'm sorry. I've turned away from you. I have pursued everything else in the world. I've done things I know I shouldn't have done. I've failed to do things that I know I should do. I have tried to run my own life. And I have done things for which I'm guilty and ashamed. I am so, so sorry sorry for what I've done. Go, go ahead and, and take a moment, just in the, the quietness of this moment, to express that to God. Maybe there's particular things you want to say sorry for. God, we want to say thank you. Thank you that you didn't leave us to our own mess. You, you, you didn't uh, make us uh, try to figure out how to put it back together. You showed up and you did what was needed, what we couldn't do. Jesus, you came and you gave your life. Thank you. Thank you for paying that price. Jesus, thank you that you rose from the dead so that we could have hope, so that there, there could be a future. God, thank you. Thank you so much. Go ahead Spend a moment, offer your thanks to God for what he's done.
God, now we want to say, please. God, please, come into my life. Become my savior, my king. Be the one who sits on the throne. Be the one who's at the center, the one who rescues me. Please offer your forgiveness. Give me your freedom. Welcome me into your family, God. Please give me a hope and a future. Please rescue me. I'm yours. Go ahead in your, your, your own way, in, in your heart. Say that to God. God, we thank you that when we call out to you, when we give ourselves to you, you hear us and you respond and you welcome us in. That each of us who have prayed that prayer are part of your family. And we have a hope and a future. God, this is so incredible. We're so thankful for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, maybe for the first time ever, and you, you surrendered to Jesus and said, I, I need you, uh, that's a first step in a relationship with God. And we are so, so excited about that. Now, one of the things we love to do around here at Christ Community is to help people take next steps in their journey with God. To, they, once they have uh, committed to Christ like that, to figure out, okay, what does this mean? Where do we go from here? Because uh, that's just the very beginning of, of this adventure that you're on. Uh, and so what we have for you even today before you leave uh, is a gift. It's something we call a next steps packet. Uh, it's got some material in there. One thing is a, a Bible that's in there, some other things that will help you kind of uh, learn some more uh, about your faith and some of the things that you can do uh, to kind of get started on this, get connected about that. We'd love for you to have that. Uh, when the, the service is done here, there's going to be some flags that go up around the room. Uh, and at the tables right by those flags are going to be those next steps packets. Uh, and if you're online, you can actually find those. You can find those electronically. Uh, if you go to Christ, uh, ccclife.org slash next steps, uh, we can get one of those to you as well. Uh, please don't leave without getting uh, that gift. Well, let's uh, thank Daniel for sharing his story with us. Really incredible. We're so glad that you're here. Thank you.